Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. I'm going back into the archives and re-releasing some of my favorite conversations from years ago every Friday. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you are, you just may get something completely different from listening to it this time around. Here you go and enjoy the show. We know that children need to learn to fail. They need to learn to overcome failure. But when our gifted children are sitting in the regular classroom day in and day out, and it's mind-numbing for them, and so they check out, they just disengage, and their grades slipping, and the right solutions are not being applied, they feel failure every day. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today's guest is educator, author, and blogger, Celie Trepanier. A teacher who was taught in both public and private schools, Celie became a passionate advocate for gifted children after tiring of her battles with schools and their misunderstandings of how to support gifted children. She's the author of the book, Educating Your Gifted Child, How One Public School Teacher Embraced Homeschooling, a parent group facilitator for the organization SANG, Supporting the Emotional Needs of the Gifted, and keeps a blog at Crushing Child Poppies. In our conversation, we talk about why many schools, even sometimes those designed specifically to cater to gifted children, aren't able to fully support these unique learners. And Celie shares why she believes homeschooling gifted children is such a great option if it's something that's possible to do for your family, as well as gives us her advice for how to get started. Before we get into our conversation, I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to Simone Davis, one of our sponsors for the Tilt Parenting podcast through our Patreon campaign. Thank you so much for your support of what we're doing. If you'd like to join Simone in supporting this podcast through Patreon, you can make a small monthly contribution that will go towards funding our production costs. Please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash tilt parenting. Thank you for considering and for being a part of our community. And now let's get on with the show. Hi, Celie. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show today. Hi, Debbie. I am very excited to be here. Well, I've been wanting to have this discussion for a while. Believe it or not, you're actually the first guest I've had on the Tilt podcast to talk about giftedness. And a lot of our community has children who are either gifted or twice exceptional. And I have so, so many questions for you. Okay. I'm going to try to keep this to a reasonable length, but I, I'm just excited. I know this conversation is going to be especially resonant for our community. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I would love if you could tell us a bit about your background, you know, kind of who you are as a mother. Um, I know that you are very personally connected to what we're going to talk about today. And so I, if you could tell us a bit of your story or what I like to call your personal why, that would be great. Well, I'm the mom of three boys. The oldest two are about 11 and 13 years older than my youngest. And I am a former public school teacher. And as far as my personal why, it honestly wasn't until our third child that we fell into this gifted journey. Although my oldest two are gifted, they were just, you know, they were different. All children are different. 
So when we started with our our youngest, we called him the most child because he <laughs> compared to the other two, he you know, he he talked the most, he ran the most, he you know, <laughs> and it was uh the struggles we had with traditional school that got us on this, you know, the family on the journey and me writing and me advocating for gifted kids. Mhm. And so you are now homeschooling. Are you homeschooling all your children or? I did. I did at various times for, you know, all three, but more so my youngest. Okay. And I would love also before we really get into it, if you have a definition of giftedness, just for the purposes of this episode, giftedness is one of those things hot button issues is something we talk a lot about on on the Tilt uh, Facebook page. And a lot of people have reached out to me and just said, thank you for including giftedness in this differently wired community, because so many people don't recognize it as such or, you know, and then I'm sure you're very familiar with all the kind of negative things that can go along with that label. So could you talk about that? Uh, actually, there is no consensus among educational professionals and psychologists on what giftedness is. Basically, you know, the first criteria we all think of is an IQ score. The cutoff is 130, which, you know, begs the, the thought, what if they made 129, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and th- then there's checklists because it, it's, it's a behavioral we have to disengage our thinking of giftedness being a part of school or being, you know, a function of education, which it's not. It's a, it's a life condition. It's just, a, you know, a different way of thinking. And uh, so there's behavior checklists. Some of these behaviors you noticed when your child is an infant, you know, the child speaks sooner, speaks in uh, complete sentences by age two. They learn to walk sooner. Uh, I had one child that learned to ride a two-wheel bike at age three, which was part of his, you know, his giftedness. Mm. So there's checklists, and I really wish people would disassociate academic achievement and success from what constitutes giftedness. Yeah, I agree with you, and I and I'm as you were talking about all that. I remember when I, when Asher was really young, he's 12 now, my son is 12 and he's twice exceptional. But when he was really, really little, like he showed all of those kind of hallmarks, you know, speaking in complicated paragraphs Mm -hmm. when he was really little and, you know, that little professor kind of thing that we hear about. And absolutely. And I remember one of my best friends is an educational psychologist and she was the first one who said, well, he is gifted. And I, and I was like, I don't like that word. Like I had this really strong and I, you know, and of course now I fully understand it, but you know, there is such a, I think it just kind of exists in society, this like stigma or that it's, even though I, I knew that something was different going on with my child, I didn't want to use that because I thought it was off-putting to other people or, you know, it was just kind of a very weighted, heavy term. I agree. That's exactly why my oldest two were never identified in school or that I didn't notice it hmm. because they didn't have as many issues or struggles that many gifted children have. They had some, but Nothing that, you know, to the degree that my youngest did. So it wasn't until they were adults that we would say, oh, now I see. And it, it was simply because 
I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to even go there with, you know, that giftedness identification because it was, it's because it's rooted in school and it's rooted in, in competition. Yeah. Yeah. It brings up a lot of uncomfortable feelings for, right. For everybody. It, it can. And that's really, I think what you're saying is because of misunderstanding. People don't really know what it is. Right. We worked with a parent coach when Asher was very little. Well, we've worked with many coaches over the years to survive our journey. But um, yes, <laughs> the, the first person we worked with was this woman. Her name is Julie Ross. She's out of New York. And she has a company called Parenting Horizons. She was amazing. She got us through some those first few years. And I remember her saying that she's never met a parent who called her excitedly to say, guess what? My kid's gifted. She's like, if they do that, I know that their kid's not really gifted because no one is excited to find this news out. And that was such a reframe for me. And when she described that giftedness is actually a special need, and that really was eye-opening and kind of helped me start looking at this situation differently. Yes, yes. I have that same example is if if a, a parent is happy about their child being gifted, it's like, mm, maybe they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not something that you're going to be celebrating about. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not to say that it's not fascinating and amazing. And there's not really um, incredible things that come along with it. But it can, right. it can be tricky. Okay, so let's get into education. So I would love to know, and this is a lot about what your book is about, but in your opinion, why do you feel that so many schools are failing gifted children? And what's going on? The main reason is misunderstanding. When I went through college to become a teacher, I remember sitting and it was a discipline class. It was a class on uh, discipline. And we spent one hour on what giftedness was. And I walked out of that class with my opinion of a gifted child sitting at their desk, hands folded, you know, hand just slapping up in the air, answering all the questions, well-behaved, high achieving. And that's the way most teachers are taught. I think it's misunderstanding what giftedness is. It's looking for the high achieving students and not the one that's staring out the window doodling and Mm with an F in spelling or, you know, a D in math. Right. So I'd like to know, when was that for you? And I mean, have you seen any change in the public education system in terms of teachers being better equipped to recognize the signs of giftedness? I want to believe that it's getting better. But um, having lived in very many areas, different states, It goes school district by school district and state by state, whether teachers are trained properly in addressing the needs of gifted children. So, oh, I I can't say that I've seen it get better. No. Hmm. That's sad to hear. And I'm still, we live in the Netherlands now, but we spend all of our time as Asher's parents in the U.S. was in Seattle. And we went through, my listeners know this, we we were in three schools in three years, which I know is not mm-hmm. unusual for gifted kids. It's not unusual for differently wired kids. Two of them were private and the public school was a full-time, you know, accelerated learning gifted program. Right. You know, I'm still involved in the Facebook group or, and I was just reading a conversation that they are considering 
kind of losing that all together. I'm just like, oh, you're going the wrong way here, people. This is not what we right. need. You know, the, uh, it was I, such a great program, in my opinion, that they offered that and it was available. But budget cuts and, you know, there's, um, again, misunderstanding at the highest level, I think. At the highest level. Absolutely. It's that misunderstanding that gifted kids are smart. They'll figure it out on their own. They're, you know, you can leave them alone and they'll excel. Let's, we don't need to worry about them. So they don't need a special program. They're just fine on their own. And that's so far from the truth. So gifted programs usually are the first things that are cut when budgets are tight. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after this quick break. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Now, I have a question for you. When um, one of Asher's private schools was a school that was specifically for highly gifted children. You know, this may be similar to your story with your son in that you had one year went great. And then all of a sudden, the next year, things crashed and burned pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. That it was our experience at this particular school. And 
Asher also, to be clear, is, you know, he also has ADHD and Asperger. So he has a, a lot of just things going on, especially in mm-hmm. those early elementary school years. Um, we're kind of figuring out how to best support him. But with this particular school and a, the teacher that he was with, there was not a lot of even understanding of the concept of asynchronous development, which... Of course, I became an expert on gifted kids (laughs) because I read everything there was to know. And that to me seemed like kind of the hallmark of what's really going on. And I found myself having to explain this concept. I'm just curious in your experience, is that unusual even for programs that are supposed to be serving gifted children that they may not fully get what they're dealing with? Yes, it is. Unfortunately, it is common. We had an experience just a couple of years ago where we were living at the time there was a gifted high school serving all the gifted kids in the uh, the area. And when we applied, they were, of course, using standardized test scores as criteria. And, and my son, being visual spatial, had about average writing ability. And she said, well, he won't be able to do well here because he wouldn't be able to keep up. And I said, I thought you were a school for gifted kids. And she said, we serve gifted children, but we're not a gifted school. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) That was my question. It it means, well, you know, we know it's for high achieving. Most gifted programs are for high achieving because we know they need those standardized test scores. Mm -hmm. That's the way our public school system is set up now. Because of, uh, you know, the federal initiatives, they need those high standardized test scores for funding, for recognition. So, Well, it seems to me, too, that, you know, there's different approaches to gifted education. There is accelerated learning, which, you know, is what our public school in Seattle was, which was basically working one to two grades ahead. Or there is a different approach to learning, you know, a a more creative approach or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that encourages different types of learners to go deep in the ways that they're wired to do so. What do you see um, is the most common approach to gifted education? Oh, by far, it's just acceleration. It's a grade level or two ahead. And sometimes it's acceleration across the board. I've seen gifted programs where the child is pulled out however many hours a week, and they take, it's usually math and language arts that they accelerate them one grade level ahead. And that qualifies as a gifted education in that school district. Right. 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 Okay. So it sounds like a lot of people are getting this wrong. Yes. (laughs) What is the cost of that? So, you know, for our kids who are gifted, who are who have these really interesting ways of thinking and being and learning and making connections. What is the long-term effect on kids whose giftedness isn't being properly or appropriately addressed in school? What I've seen within my own family, with my own children, and with other families that I'm close to and have spoken with, it's the child's loss of self-esteem and self-confidence. We know that children need to learn to fail. They need to learn to overcome failure. But when our gifted children are sitting in the regular classroom day in and day out, and it's mind-numbing for them, and so they check out, they just disengage, and their grades slipping, and the right solutions are not being applied, they feel failure every day. 
and then they lose self-esteem. Without self-esteem or self-confidence, how can they succeed at anything in life? And that's that's long-term. That's mm-hmm. um, I've seen it. I have my two oldest are 31 and 27, and I've seen that. I've seen what that lack of self-esteem that was rooted in their failure in school does now in their adult life. Wow. In your book, and I I don't want to mess up the statistics, but I remember reading something about the school to prison pipeline, which we're actually going to be talking about in another Mm -hmm. podcast episode. What what I talk about with my other guest is that differently wired kids are disproportionately vulnerable to that school to prison pipeline. But I was surprised to read that specifically the gifted population is as well. Right. I believe, and I don't want to mess up the percentage either, but it's 20%, I want to say, of the prison population who would test at the gifted level as opposed to 2 to 5% in the general population. That is shocking to me and so sad. It is. I, I, I agree. It is, it is sad, especially when the general public would assume that a gifted child is on that clear and easy road to success in life. And especially when gifted children, gifted humans have so much potentially to share with the world, you know, the potential to be the real problem solvers and have creative solutions for everything that's happening in our in our life and in the environment and in the world. Absolutely. It's, it's a human loss. Hmm. I would love to talk about homeschooling. I was a reluctant homeschooler and, you know, I was one of those parents who it had been suggested to me more than once by friends who are educators. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I am not homeschooling Mm -hmm. this child. I like my life. I need my peace and quiet. I need things and we need to find a fit. And of course, you know, we never did. And, And now I'm so grateful I get to homeschool. But can you start off this conversation by just telling us why, in your opinion, homeschooling can be such a great fit for gifted kids? Homeschooling is completely customizable for your child. Depending on the homeschooling laws in your state, you have a great deal of freedom to address the learning needs of your child, to change his learning environment, you know, even the scheduling and timing of when he learns and where he learns. You know, the freedom and opportunities are almost endless. And I, you know, say again, depending on the homeschooling laws in your state or where you live. So for gifted kids, this is, it's perfect. You're meeting the needs of your child. I'm just thinking of our experience. Asher, we started homeschooling when we moved here. He was not happy about the move, although he was like, okay about homeschooling. And of course, now he loves it. And I've seen an incredible change in him because his anxiety disappeared over time. Mm-hmm. His confidence has skyrocketed perhaps too much for those of you who here listen to the podcast. He's a very confident human being. Good for him. <laughs> and he, you know, he's just, he's emotionally regulated. He's thriving. What has been your experience and what have you seen in the, in the community of parents who've made this shift in terms of the way that a child can kind of I don't know if recover is the right word, but, you know, undo some of the damage that can happen in a school setting when they're not being supported. 
for the most part, generally the gifted child who was struggling in an educational environment that was not appropriate for them once they're homeschooled, many of the issues, you know, heal almost overnight. The anxiety, the disengagement from learning, and then some are more, you know, it takes a little bit longer to overcome. But uh, by and large, homeschooling does change for the better the struggles gifted children you know, have in the traditional schools. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. What about for parents who are listening right now and who are in that space that I was in that, you know, I think I knew in my gut that it was the right thing to do, but I, I was like, I can't do this. I'm not, I don't know where to start. It's overwhelming. You know, there's a lot of roadblocks, some real, some more imagined. What advice do you have for parents who are trying to determine if this is actually a doable option for them? There's several things I would say. One is, you know, don't panic. Homeschooling is easier and more enjoyable than you might think. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't panic. There's not an immediate time constraint. 
You don't need to mimic the classroom at home and take the time to find your way, find what works for your child, what works for you. I guess basically, don't panic. You you will learn to love homeschooling and you will <laughs> be thankful that you are. It's a, uh, it's a, like a lot of people say, it's a life choice and it is a good one, a good life choice. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I'm still surprised to hear myself say how much I love this and, you know, that I think it's a gift and an honor that I get to do this and spend this time with, right. with Asher. One of the things when I first started homeschooling that I really struggled with, and I I was working with a curriculum advisor in the U.S. who was an educator, knew Asher very well in his learning style. And she was kind of my faculty support, so to speak. But, you know, talk about not panicking. I was definitely like a couple weeks in, well, we're not doing as much as I think we should be doing. And he's not following me. You know, I was getting really like caught up and this isn't looking the way I think it should look. Mm -hmm. And she would be like, Debbie, relax. You have a lot of time. She's like, there's a lot of stuff that happens in a traditional school that where learning is not happening. You can do so much schooling in such a short period of time and it's not going to look the same as it does. And that's okay. And, you know, so kind of having that voice of reason was really helped me in those first couple months. But there's kind of like a retraining that has to happen or a reframing in a parent's brain to kind of let go of these ideas that we have about what school is supposed to look like. Absolutely. Our educational system, the traditional educational system, the the format and the model is so ingrained in us. I know the first year I homeschooled, it was my uh, middle son. And I had set up his desk at the kitchen table and I had the uh, dry erase board. I even had a pointer and he sat at the table and I sat there with my pointer and, you know, and, it's, <laughs> and I, I love that you had a pointer. It's like, awesome. How stupid was I? <laughs> <laughs> it quickly changed. It quickly changed. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I'll just say that today... Perhaps a third of our schooling happened with Asher laying in my bed. I was sitting up, but <laughs> you know, you know, and while listening to Hans Zimmer music, which he's, which is accompanying our life at the moment because he's obsessed with Hans Zimmer, but we had a great day, you know, and I'm like, how cool is this? We're super comfy, cozy, and we're talking about philosophy and listening to a symphony. Like, that's not a bad day. That's exactly it. It's, it's about learning. But it is hard to get the books and the tests and the checklist, you know, out of our mind. Did we cover this chapter? We can't go on to the next chapter until we've completed this chapter. So it's hard. And then, you know, we feel like, did I teach him everything he needed to know? So, yeah, it's there's a learning curve for parents when they first homeschool. So having somebody that's gone down that road, it's so helpful. Yeah. Do you have thoughts about you know, what parents can do if they're in that space. Like I know for me personally, sometimes still we're in our fourth year, but someone can ask a question and I, you know, a question about, well, what are you going to do about this? Or what about that? And I'm like, oh crap, am I making a mistake here? Yeah. Does he, you know, does he need this, this, you know? So I guess it is, as you said, it's so ingrained in us and it is just this constant like reminding, nope, doesn't have to look that way. But do you have any advice on how to 
how to be in that kind of in a way that doesn't have to create new panic in your world? Um, I wouldn't know what to answer that person. But I do know what I always fell back on when I would panic was that I knew of unschoolers, you know, the truest sense of an unschooler where there were no books, there, were no, there was no schedule, there was no tests, got into college and did well. And, and that was like, okay, I know this is possible. So if my child didn't finish chapter five by the second month of school, we're not going to fail. Yeah, those success stories kind of keep them in the back of your mind. Right. Let me ask you that then. That was one of my questions. If you could tell us a little bit about the big picture view, what does it look like for parents who are homeschooling? And, you know, everyone else is starting to think about universities or like here in the Netherlands year, it's very much of a tracked educational system. So by middle school, you kind of know what path you're on. So what does it look like for a parent who's homeschooling a gifted kids? Uh, do you feel that they need to go back and spend time in school before going on to university? Do you think that they can seamlessly transition from homeschooling to university? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Based on uh, having three different children, two that have graduated from college, I've learned to accept that traditional schooling path, K through 12, you know, then four years of high school immediately followed by four years of college. It's just one way of many. We've audited college classes. I've had one start college at 15. One took a gap year. So it's different for each child. And do they need to go and spend time in a a classroom after homeschooling to be prepared to go to college? I don't think so. If they're going to college prepared and ready and excited, I think the desire to learn will overcome any issues that we feel that, you know, they need to learn to sit in a classroom and relearn classroom behavior. I think the desire to learn will, will, you know, overcome that. But if that's still an issue, maybe with the parent who's worried, look into auditing college classes. Yeah, that's great. And I like what you said about motivation. I mean, it's amazing how that self-motivation, it just really starts to develop. And if they are feeling confident and secure about who they are and what kind of learners they are, then they're not going to be starting university with and with that kind of baggage, which is going to make them clearer on how to get what they want and how to how to kind of be successful. So how do you figure, I'm just curious, how how did you figure all of this out? That for me was one of my biggest challenges or or I don't know if it actually was the biggest challenge, but it was the thing I was most stressed about. You know, how do I figure out what to do? How do I figure out what they need? You know, where do you start? So do you have any, I don't know, maybe one or two best tips for where parents can kind of feel supported and not be overwhelmed by not knowing what to do? The first thing I would do as a parent is to join online or in-person homeschooling and gifted support groups and talk to other parents, get firsthand advice and support. That would be the first thing. That's what helped me when I was, you know, when I thought we were the only ones in the world that were going through this. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and uh, I found an online uh, gifted parenting support group. So that's probably the main thing I would do. Mm-hmm. And then s- second, would be then to go ahead and just read, you know, widely 
on giftedness, on homeschooling, if you're choosing to go down that path, but to read because the stories and the information you find on giftedness differs depending on the person writing it and their perspective and you know where uh, their experience lies. So I would read widely. Well, speaking of reading, I read your book over the weekend, Educating Your Gifted Child, One Public School Teacher Embraced Homeschooling, How One Public uh, School Teacher Embraced Homeschooling, which I absolutely loved. I flew through it and I was like, yes, 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 yes. I just totally was into it. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? My book was written from the perspective that I went down our journey with my three gifted sons overcoming these struggles, learning the hard way, learning from mistakes, learning from success. And I wrote the book with, this is what I would have wanted to have before I started the journey. So it's a blueprint of, you have a gifted child, what do you do now? Mainly with their education. So it's it's definitely a, I've been there, done that, this is what I learned, so you don't have to go Mm -hmm. through those mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an ideal resource, especially for families who are early on in the journey and just kind of grappling with these issues. But again, I'm much further down the road, and I still got a lot of benefit from it. And even that sense of, you know, just you can't really ever hear too many times like that what you're experiencing isn't an aberration. So just that sense of camaraderie and connection. Yes, someone else has walked down this path is so comforting. Right, right. So do you have any, um, you mentioned um, online communities. Could you share any of your favorite resources for parents homeschooling gifted kids? Yes. Gifted Homeschoolers Forum has an online community. They have a website with resources for parents. They have a Facebook page and, you know, a series of books. That's my book was published through uh, GHF Press. So Gifted Homeschoolers Forum has resources. Hoagie's Gifted Education page has a ton of resources. I would also go to Sing, Supporting Emotional Needs of the Gifted. Their website has a lot of information. And the last one is Davidson Gifted Issues Discussion Forum. Davidson has the the private school, I believe it's in New Mexico or Arizona for... Yeah, Reno, Nevada, yeah. For profoundly gifted children, but their online uh, forum for parents is very good. Then you'll, you know, any issues or questions you have can be answered on there. For listeners, I'll include links to all of these in the show notes. These are all resources I also highly recommend. The Gifted Homeschoolers Forum actually is how I got connected with Seely and Asher does online learning through them. And I just think it's a fantastic resource. So, but all of the ones that you mentioned are great. So I will include all of those. And before we say goodbye, how can parents find you online and learn more about what you do and how to get in touch with you? Uh, my website is crushingtallpoppies.com. So all my writing is on there. I also have a Facebook page, Crushing Tall Poppies, and they can connect there. Perfect. Well, Celia, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of this. We got through a lot. I'm pretty impressed in a not too long uh, period of time. So thank you for letting me pick your brain and sharing this great insight. I know it's going to be this episode is going to be of service to so many families in our community. So thanks again. Well, thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed it. 
You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Celie's website, her book, and the rest of the resources we discussed, visit the show notes page at tiltparenting.com slash session 50. If you like what you heard on today's episode and you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or leaving a rating or a review or both. All of these things help our podcast get more visibility. And lastly, if you're not already signed up for our newsletter, I'd love for you to join our Tilt Parenting online community. I send out short weekly updates with links to new content on the website, articles, and resources just for you. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.